0: Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and I've got a shorter episode today for you guys. I'm going to be talking about my road to Adepticon and preparation for that. And with me, I brought Jeff In Control Robinson, someone who's also going to Adepticon and who knows every everything there is to know about preparing for tournaments and large events.
1: Thanks for having me, Pablo.
0: Thanks for coming, Jeff. So, if you don't know, Adepticon is one of, if not, one of the more storied tournaments in the 40k competitive scene. It's been around for a very long time. It it draws hobbyists and competitors from all over the world, and I would say that it's probably, right now, the most well-known and most historic 40k event. Right, whereas LVO it maybe might be the most competitive in the especially in the competitive scene, it might be the most well known. But Adepticon is, is far reaching. Uh, it's
1: definitely the most storied. I I agree with you there. Um, it's it's one it was one of the the big tournaments that is still around today, which is really cool.
0: Right, and yeah, especially if you think back to like Feast of Blades and the Ard Boys back when GW, you know, did tournaments. Adepticon has been around since those days. Right, I think it's just yeah. Adepticon and, and War Games Con. Uh, I, someone, someone, some old geezer who, who played back in the day probably, probably is going to correct me with another event, but I think, as far as <laughs> I know, War Games Con and Adepticon are the two oldest ones that have been around for an extremely long time. Um, I don't know.
1: I'm not sure on the specifics. I, I just absolutely agree with you that it is one of the most uh, storied tournaments. It's one of the big ones.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, Adepticon. Uh, this is my first time coming going to Adepticon. And uh, Jeff, mm-hmm. as I understand, it's also your first time.
1: No, I've been no, three he's, times. He's thinking.
0: been three times. Never mind. Uh, I apologize. It, it's his first time going with Castodes.
1: Yes, that is correct. <laughs> so,
0: so, uh, I, I'm I'm trying to get into a more tournament mindset, uh, especially going into this new season season of the ITC. Uh, we mm-hmm. have Codex is coming out. We're gonna have a brand new 40k. For the summer, essentially, when all the codexes come out, we're gonna—it's gonna be a fully fleshed-out edition, and I think it'll be the most competitive, diverse, you know, tournament or, or a season to date, right? So if you want to make a name for yourself and you want to be someone like a Nick Natavati, uh someone who people talk about and come out out and show how good you are, uh, I think this is the year to do it. Uh, I, I think from this year on, we'll have—we'll only get bigger. We'll have like hall of fames and more tournament coverage, and it's, I'm excited. Uh, so Depticon's going to kick that off, kick off the ITC season, and I want to talk about my preparations for it uh, because it is a very different tournament, and historically it's always been kind of a, a different tournament, different beast. It's always kind of bounced to the beat of its own drum. Um, you, you know, they traditionally they've gotten rid of Forge World. Uh, I think Forge World is allowed this year, Um but they've they've just done a lot of really radical, different things, and it's a, just a different tournament. So. If you're unaware of what the format is, it's essentially four missions, and it's two days, two four-round days. Uh, they break to a top 16. So your first day, it's just four rounds in one day. It's brutal, and then you go to a top 16 and you play in uh, to a best the winner, right? And then that's it. So it's four rounds day two if you make it into the top 16. It's actually it's not easy to get into the top 16, uh, but it's not like the LVO where you have to go undefeated. Right. You can lose one game, and you just, as long as you get good battle points and you do well, you should make the top 16. So, uh, Jeff, is there anything I missed there about the format?
1: Um, just, you you were kind of touching on this, but I think it's just worth noting. I think uh, Depticon has always kind of been more interested in doing their own missions, so they don't follow Nova, they don't follow, um, in the past, like ITC. It is an ITC event, so the score, of course, goes to the ITC, but they've always liked to have their own flavor. So in the past, that's been even something like Maelstrom Cards, which is kind of controversial. Um, and they've done like their own takes on book missions, that kind of thing. And, and this year's no different with them doing, as you said, four missions, much to the style of what we've seen, uh, but different, all the same.
0: Yeah, and, and this year, I actually, I like what they did with the missions. They went really conservative uh there, there's nothing wacky nothing crazy and it, it's essentially each mission is has kill points and their kill points is 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 different it's a uh, for every it's for every points you kill so for every 100 points you kill of your opponent's army you get one point and then you mm-hmm. round up so if you kill 160 points you actually get two points if you kill 130 points you get one point etc etc and this this means this obviously it make, makes it easier to to beat knight armies and, and armies that invest a lot of points into these big models, um, but those armies aren't really dominating anyways. Um, so it's just more along the lines of: Do you invest points in these big hammer units like Death Company, Blood Angels, Death Company, uh, or Celestine? Is a she can give up three hundred or three points if she dies. Um, she is still pretty hard to kill, but she can give up three points. You, you know, uh, bigger characters, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et so the kill points aspect. Is what I'm focusing on the most, and the reason why is because I don't see, especially in the secondary missions that you pick, I don't see a lot of points that you can score in Adepticon missions. Uh, you know, I think you're going to get most of your points off of kill kill points because addition is so killy, and it's really hard to score a lot of those secondary missions. With the exception yeah. Of like two,
1: yeah. Do you have the missions in front of you? I'm 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 actually
0: I actually do have the missions in front of me. You give me one second.
1: Okay. Uh, While Paul was pulling it up, I guess my only comment to that would be, it's interesting, because I actually do like that they are doing it point-based kill points. I think that's, as you said, that's a lot more, uh, at least potentially fair. Um, I I say this all with a squint of the eye and a furrowed brow, because, to be honest, I haven't seen a point-based kill kill point-type tournament, so going into it, I think it's really fair and cool, but coming out of it, I don't know how I feel about it, because... Uh, there's some access, not as much, of course, in seven, but to things that, like, regenerate wounds, which would be kind of interesting, or regenerate, um, units. So, like, if I, if you kill 22 of 30 termagants, but he's able to regenerate all of them back up to 30, you killed zero, I guess. Uh, <laughs> or, or that could get even worse. You, you kill, like, 60 of, you know, the termagants, but they just keep regenerating. You actually killed nothing. But I don't think that's gonna be, like, you know, it's not like, I'm here with Bob Costas, the winner of Adepticon. What'd you run? He's like, oh, I brought 240 <laughs> Turbogons and three Turbogons. Like, I don't think that's going to be the case. But uh, at the list point, it is going to be interesting to see what people come up with to game that because you know people are going to game it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there, there are a lot of really durable units in 40K. There's there some armies. Uh, we were talking, if you guys listened to last week's episode, the Eldar episode, uh, we didn't go into detail enough about how deceptively durable. Eldar can be, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're wasting times on on distraction card effects units like like thirty cultists getting in your face or thirty guardians with a four up invuln and a minus two to hit, etc. etc. You know th- those units invest a lot of your resources and they're deceptively right. hard to kill. And you know if you don't pick off the weak units, you- you're going to start re- far behind really quickly on kill points. So it's just th- there's a lot of it. I-, I think it's probably the biggest dynamic. Um, and then I've got the missions here. So they're split between two eternal uh, war quote unquote missions and two maelstrom missions for the primary objectives. And the only difference between those is the eternal war objectives are always scored at the end of the game and the progressive objectives or the maelstrom missions are always scored at the top of the player turn. So that's okay. also huge uh, top of the player turn, not end of the player turn. So your opponent has a chance to respond to it. And that's a big step away from GWs. And it's just, that's generally the tournament standard, I think it's, it's just generally more fair. Uh, so you have the progressive objectives and the end-of-game objectives, and there's four missions, so two objective, two progressive objectives, two Eternal Wars, and then let's talk about the tertiaries. Uh, yeah. so, so you pick five of these, right? and uh, each one is worth two points. There's Slay the Warlord, Linebreaker, and Solo Blood. Uh, uh, Solo Blood is not first blood, or they don't actually have a first strike or a last laugh, uh, so you don't need to kill something on the first turn. Uh, which is which I think is pretty important if you if you're building a specific style of list like Alpha Strikes. Uh, so they have Slay the Warlord, Line Solo Blood, Solo Blood. You basically have to kill a unit in a battle round without your opponent killing anything. So that can be hmm. very difficult. Big Game Hunter, which is destroy the most expensive unit in your army. Vanguard, uh, which is at the start of any of your turns you have at least one of your units entirely within your opponent's deployment zone.
1: Laugh out
0: loud. <laughs> uh, it's that one is. I I will I would be shocked if people don't pick that every single turn every single round every single turn.
1: That one's they ran out of ideas. It has to be. They were <laughs> I, just I like at the end they're like uh, Vanguard. You know like who's not gonna take that? You know a I static think... guard gunline has Tempestus Scions at least or something. Like everybody has something that gets in the, the enemy zone. You know. Right,
0: and and here's, and I don't want to talk too much negativity about Adepticon. They do a great job. They they've always done a great job. They always bring in the crowds, but the, it does tend to be more of an old school format. So if you played back in fifth edition, even their terrain, it, it's widely known now as being fifth edition terrain. When I was talking to Nick Nanavati, a guy who knows Adepticon extremely well, he's won it three times. He he told me that they have fifth edition terrain. There's hills. And the line of sight blocking is infantry high. That's it. So it's a, it's a lot of area terrain. The line of sight blocking will protect your Space Marines and give cover to your Rhino. But that's about it. That's as much as you can expect from it. Uh, maybe you'll have a ruin in the center. Maybe they'll mix it up. Uh, though they've been doing this for so long and doing it so well that I I really doubt that they'll they're going to magically put a hundred tables worth of terrain out that no one's ever seen before. Like why would they? Just that's that's a that's a big investment. Um, so. It's been working for them. They're probably going to stick to that terrain. Uh, and then Vanguard is another example of one of those objectives that's a little bit more old school. It, it's it's meant to target gunline armies, like you said. Right? But gunline armies aren't really what 8th edition is built around and what 8th edition is moving towards. It's what 8th edition is moving towards more dynamic armies. So if you see a, a tertiary objective like Vanguard two editions ago, you're like, oh, okay. Well, you know, like maybe this this Eldar jetpack unit will Zoom it out there and score this. up Sometimes, like that's some, maybe a unit that can do it, or an army that can do it, or maybe like a razor back outflanking in 7th edition. But it, it doesn't happen as often. Not as many armies have access to being able to deep strike and go anywhere they want, right? So it's it's. I know the point you're trying to make, but it's it's I don't a rough know. point. Like, I I get we, it. we
1: shouldn't spend more time on this because right. everyone's just gonna pick it. And everyone's gonna score <laughs> it. But it's just kind of a it was a it was a give me. It's just
0: a gimme. It is. It's a gimme. Um, warden knife, uh, which is you have to destroy three units in any of your fight phase. Uh, mm. it, that's very tough. That's something not a lot of people are going to pick. Uh, it's mostly because it's just your fight phases. So, uh, you know, you, you can't charge something and then pick it up in your opponent's phase. You have to pick it up in your next fight phase. So that's difficult. Uh, fire for effect, which is destroy three enemy units in any of your shooting phases. Uh, lead from the front, which is your warlord, having your warlord within three inches of any objective that is not in your deployment zone. And your warlord also must be completely outside of your deployment zone and you'd score that at the start of your turn uh, lead from the back, which is the same thing but the opposite a- advance which is have all of your units on the table and have none of your own units in your deployment zone uh, that's and you can't do this turn one um, so that one that one's gonna be that one's very interesting Never you, have to, be back. you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get it uh, push them back, which is destroy at least two enemy units that were at least partially in your deployment zone. That's another one I don't see a lot of people picking. Uh, and then Marked for death, which is you mark three units for death, but you do this before before uh, your opponent starts. Uh, you reveal them before your opponent's before the start of battle round one, but you do it after exchanging lists. So you exchange lists, you mark units for death, and then you reveal them uh, at the start of deployment. That that's kind of kind of cute, kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't know what your opponent picked until after deployment. But it, ultimately, I think I think marked for death is something that's going to be very very hard to do, right? So immediately as you look at this, uh, warlords not very difficult or not very not very easy to get. Uh, Line breaker has always been extremely easy to get. Uh, Vanguard has been easy to get. But other than that, these are all extremely hard to get. Jeff, do do you think do you think you could score four objectives consistently?
1: Uh, return? it's a, it's a bit of yes to no. I know the point you're trying to make is that in general they're very difficult. I agree with that. I think a lot of armies are going to have like lead from the back or lead from the front. Right. Um, lead from the front is a little bit harder because typically that kind of warlord is something like a Mortarian or Magnus or something where they generally die, so it, it's a little bit harder to score that. But for me personally, with my custodians list, um, it's going to be a company commander that's the warlord who is going to sit in the back. And then for a stratagem, if I want, if they kill my warlord, I can actually just have one of my shield captains become the warlord too, which is kind of ridiculous. Um but for me, that's a, that's a go to Vanguard. Everyone in the building will take every yes. single game, like literally every single game. Everyone in the building will take that. Um, and then the mark for death, I think will be a close second, not because it's easy. Um, I think Vanguard is very easy, but I think mark for death is like simple Warhammer math that most people are going to be able to do where they're like, okay, you got three units of scouts, mark for death. You have three units of Nurglings. Okay. Mark for death or, you know, the assault units. If you are seeing those blood angels out there, oh, I'm going to pick your death company because. No one's going to be like, well, then, on turn three, my death company shall deep strike into my backfield, sir. You didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> um, and even then, you'll probably still be able to kill them because they're death company. Yeah. Uh, but it's that fourth and fifth one that you were talking about where it gets to be a little bit like, hmm. Because uh, the Linebreaker one is end of game. Uh, killing something on your turn and not letting them kill something is... Like sometimes doable, especially if you had the list for it. If you're running like four nights or something ridiculous, maybe that's when when you obviously take that one every time. But otherwise, some of these are really hard to see happening. I agree with you.
0: Yeah, and and the other thing too is these are only worth maximum ten points, right? So you. Yeah, it's two each. Yeah, chances are you're going to score more. You're going to kill more than a thousand points of your opponent's army if you're if you're if you're building a list to kill your opponent, which most people are, uh, right? So. It's it's not you're probably not gonna you're probably gonna win a couple games off of these tertiaries, maybe off a lucky marked for death, uh or or maybe your opponent didn't get vanguard I don't know um, I don't see the tertiaries making a big impact in your games I see the big impact actually in the kill points because those are the, those have the most variable most variables because your opponent can invest. Uh, your points into killing like a scout squad that might get them one extra point to win them the game. But if you spend two command points so that scout squad doesn't, they don't fail the morale. And then you run and you just hide that scout. That's one point that you're always keeping away from your opponent. So it's just, it has the most control and yeah. the most variance. So that's, that's why I want to focus on the kill points specifically. Uh, the primary objectives are simple. Each, each mission kind of has its own unique way to place the objectives. The first one is you play six objectives down and you place them wherever you want using objective placement rules. Uh, the second one is vanguard with kind of five objectives, kind of making a cross, uh, and you know they, the the other the other two are just more objectives. It's six objectives, five objectives. There's generally a lot of objectives on the board. Um, Lois is three, and that's it. So so you, you know when, the, when you know where the objectives are going to be. Uh, everything's going to be very static. You're going to be able to create a simple game plan for each mission, and definitely focus on kill points if you're going to Adepticon, which is what I'm doing. Uh, I'm focusing on just taking my, the objectives that I need to take, killing, getting getting kill points whenever I can, and getting as many tertiaries as I can. That's it.
1: Yep. It's very simple. And I think uh, it, all those thoughts combined make for an interesting tournament where you're saying, and I agree with you, Apollo, or Pablo, I almost called you a Pablo, that's kind of, man, <laughs> rebrand, hello, but, uh, <laughs> The idea of the terrain, don't get the wrong idea. I, I am a veteran of Adepticon. Um, it's, it's not terrible terrain, but you should not go, like, for instance, my Terranid list that very much so depends on Hive Guard and Biovores not being seen because they're not super defensible otherwise would not do very well at Adepticon, in my opinion. It just isn't geared for that kind of terrain. So, uh, it's not so much that there is no terrain and it's one of those like terrible nightmare scenarios where you show up at a tournament and it's like, oh my god, it's Planet Bowling Ball all over the place. It's more just that you aren't guaranteed of your four, at least, games, maybe six or eight, um, to find yourself in a situation where you have like huge line of sight blocking terrain, which a lot of people were shocked to have uh, in such large quantities at LVO, right? There was tons of line of sight blocking there, and that became a huge feature. At Adepticon, you need to know that you're probably not going to be able to hide a ton of stuff, which will be interesting.
0: Yeah, and here's the other thing, too. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, an Adepticon veteran. Uh, Adepticon mm-hmm. has ter- set ter- or They don't s- have set terrain. You show up, yeah. and you you and your opponent take turns placed in the terrain. Um, is it, in general, just kind of like a, you go through your paces, and you're like, you guys just kind of symmetrically place terrain down? Or do people get really strategic and intense with it?
1: Well, it's, like anything else, Warhammer, it's a, it's a yes to both of those, right? For I me, see. personally, I, I just really... I enjoy having symmetrical tables. That's why I like the ITC format so much because you typically find that at your LBOs or BAOs. So I don't really go into it with some huge scheme plan or something like that. But obviously if you're looking at a table and there's like these two giant line of sight blocking pieces of terrain or whatever, and then the rest is garbage, uh, you're definitely thinking of buying that up and, and putting it where you can utilize it the best, you know, but for me, I would, I would just caution people that you just need to get through that as fast as possible because that's really nice. But to your point, Pablo, and I agree with this, Depticon is a little bit old school, and the old school, even uh, as it applies here, thought is that in two and a half hours you can play an 8th edition game of Warhammer. (laughs) Um, Well, now they've added another thing that you're doing before the game, which is you're setting up the terrain. So if you and your friend clink beer mugs and start chatting (laughs) about terrain for 25 minutes and then deploy and then play your game, you might not finish your game and you'll be very upset. And I think this is compounded, Pablo, by what you said too, which is like, this is a kill point tournament for the most part, where you're kind of like adding up how much is killed. And boy, um, is that a different mindset than what we've been used to, which is like scoring objectives, which is still a part of the mission, by the way, but right. it's just, it's not going to be as big of a chunk of the points. I would hate for people to be like, well, it's turn two, let's see what happened. You blew up this unit and you win. And that would just suck, you know? I, I, so be aware of that, people attending Adepticon.
0: Well, that and also if turn two the game ends turn two and you have half your army and reserves you're done game yep, over dead. Like, The sorry but uh and you're absolutely right and they actually did increase it to three hours uh um, oh, okay so, good, good. so that that's the extra hear. 30 minutes is is not huge. it it's huge at the lower tables but i think in the top tables i think we're still going to have a slow playing problem um that's just just my prediction i just I see agree. tournament 40k going that direction uh so we get those extra 30 minutes and it it's I'm kind of worried about games not finishing, but I think I think we're gonna be okay, uh, you and I are. Because of, because of the armies we're running in. I think you definitely made the conscious decision to switch to a lower model count army to to hopefully play your games faster. Um and I the same, but I'm also a much slower player than you. Um so I'm kinda just mentally preparing myself for playing faster and generally just not being a dick, but generally just pushing my opponent along. Um, I, I'm not going to Adepticon to make friends. I, I want to go to Adepticon because I want to win the 40k champs, and I also want to win the X-Wing Open, System Open that they've oh, going cool. on going on. And if I'm extremely lucky, I want to win the Age of Sigmar Championships, too. So I'm, I'm going, I'm trying Jeez. to, yeah, I'm trying to at least make, if I make top 8 in all three of those, I think, I think I'm think i pretty content with my performance. Uh, but, that being said, we'll talk about tournament mindsets later. Let's talk about the meta and what we're going to see at Adepticon. Uh, Eldar are, are going to probably dominate it. Traditionally, Eldar and Chaos, Demons, Chaos have always dominated Adepticon for the last three editions. I think. Maybe maybe even a little bit in 5th. Although 5th had like uh, the the Guard, Sweeper, Army and Grey Knights, I think was around Adepticon in 5th edition. Uh, but we're definitely going to see a lot of Eldar and we're definitely going to see a lot of Chaos. That's hands down what players at Adepticon play. Let's just Yeah. Historically what it's been.
1: People in the in that region, like uh just the Chicago area, really like demons and, and there's a lot of guard there. The cool thing about Adepticon, as a quick aside, and why it's such an awesome tournament, is because it's in the middle of the country, you get some West Coast, not that much, but some. A lot of East Coast, but a lot of the South. A lot of people come up from the Florida area and that kind of thing, and there's just a very robust scene, of course, around Chicago. So you get a really eclectic group of people, of competitive players, and they've all traveled, so they're not there really casually um, on some capacity. There is, of course, the lesser, serious competitive players, but it's a, it's a mostly hardcore tournament, and it those different places have very different metas, so I really enjoy, like you said, a lot of demons, a lot of chaos, a lot of Eldar, yes, but um, they come from different regions, so they play a little bit differently. It's really cool.
0: No, And that's actually another interesting point, too. Uh, there is home field advantage in in tournaments, right? So if you look at the SoCal Open, it's a huge event. You'd expect a lot of diversity. It's actually not true. Uh, for someone who's played at the local scene in San Diego for years, uh, almost everyone in San Diego who played plays 40K and and I've played regularly, they all went to SoCal Open. So for me, I didn't play in the SoCal Open, but if I had played, I would have run into someone I play on the regular, someone I know very well, uh, and someone I don't. And it would have been about 50-50. Uh, Adepticon, you're right. It's a very centralized location. We also got people from Canada coming down mm-hmm. uh, on top of yeah, East Coast, South, the South, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a very centralized location. And it's also, as from my understanding, in the middle of nowhere. So there's no local scene, right? It's not like near a game store in a local scene. Like I guess there are people local there in, the, like you said, that big <laughs> Chicago area. But it's it's in general more of a, as I understand it, a place that you travel to and where competitive players go. Um, though, yeah. as, as opposed to the SoCal open where it's half half people from the local scene and also half people who travel. So, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I I don't I don't know how well I'm going to do against chaos. Those chaos lists look. I think it's impossible to prepare for all the chaos lists that you're going to see. Uh, so I think I'm trying to prepare for lo- killing lots of really easy to kill T3 bodies and not giving those same two three bodies easy targets uh and hopefully I don't run into magnus and mortarian so i think that list would give me a rough time
1: i think yeah so the the part that's a little bit harder for me to predict but just one of the units that has been common and fell off a little bit but i think would be really cool at adepticon is going to be that alpha legion you know big block of cultists that can regenerate Because it poses a huge challenge to a lot of lists of, like, can you chew through this right away? It is just cultists. They don't make them super defensible uh, or anything like that. But if you don't kill all of them for a couple of command points, boop, there's 40 back again and you just killed zero command points and it gets to relocate perhaps away from whatever it is that does have the ability to chew through them, right? So it's a very cool unit. It deals a lot of damage. That's, That's most the reason why people came over to it, but... Specifically in a kill kill uh, point atmosphere where it's point based, I could see a unit like that being like every Chaos Space Marine and uh, you know Demon mixed list is going to be like, yep, let's take that one.
0: Well, and it's only worth two points when you kill it. That's not a lot, right? Hmm. You're killing you know thirty, forty wounds of dudes with a minus one to hit, right? Like that. That's that sounds easy to do if you if you have the shots to do it, but it's actually not easy to do, and it's only worth two points. Like it's for the investment that you put into killing a cultist squad, you can get an easy five or six points off an elder army, right? That's oh yeah. like, Oh, you of a shining spears, uh, Rangers, another unit of Rangers. Boom. I already have three points. Woohoo! Right. It's, it's hard. And like you said, if you don't kill it, it regenerates. And I think you, you've already fallen so far behind in the resource management table. Cause you've already spent one full turn of shooting shooting at it or whatever. Yep. Right. It's, it's all, those are all things you have to think about when you're, when you're dealing with chaos or because chaos is such a big part of the meta. Uh moving over to Eldar, Guardians kind of do the same thing. Uh, they have they can ping wounds off of their vaults or their support batteries, whatever their little artillery things. So they have a three up save. So they can kind of you know absorb a little bit of firepower with those. Then of course they get the four up invul and the minus two to hit and they're just as killy as cultists. Uh, so you, you
1: More mean, so probably
0: probably more so, you're right. Um so that's kind of that's kind of where my mindset is is what kills those units efficiently um or what can run away from those units if I don't have the resources to kill those units efficiently um
1: that's I would yeah. say bring DACA. I I think um, Absolutely. less so than other tournaments like at LVO, I wouldn't tell you necessarily to bring DACA because of course there is hordes of course there's MSU but there's so much terrain that you, you know some DACA, but your focus should be able to be mobile or indirect at Adepticon, less of a concern. The bigger concern is just flood the field with bullets. Just put things down.
0: Right. And one thing I've always had a problem with, too, that I I want to give you guys advice, not just for Adepticon, but for tournaments that are light on terrain, is if your army has a good save, which most armies do, uh, ignore the terrain for the most part. Right? So, so one thing that when I played Jeff, Jeff laughed at me, and it's still resonating with me to this day, is when I was playing Jeff and his Tyranids, uh, I was putting my scouts in line of sight blocking just kind of instinctively and kind of putting them in disadvantageous positions so that they couldn't score an objective because they were maybe like an inch off or whatever. And Jeff was like, oh, how cute. He's putting them in, out of line of sight because you, all you had was hive guards and biovars, mm-hmm. right? And, and that, that stuck with me because I've always kind of been in that mentality of like, oh, I have to I have to put these marines just out of line of sight or behind this rhino um, so they don't get shot so that they can survive towards the late game. Whereas if I'm thinking about Adepticon, I don't want to do that. I think I'm just going to bring all my shooting to bear because chances are my Scout bikes and my Custodes jet bike captains and my Scouts, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, chances are they can all get in there and kill that squad because that squad's probably not going to get a cover save. They're probably not going to be out of line of sight. Um, So I plan on just ignoring the terrain completely, except for maybe that one line of sight blocking Ruin that's keeping my Scouts safe, where they can steal an objective or whatever, right? But but for the most part, I just plan on ignoring the terrain.
1: Uh, The terrain, by the way, it's interesting, because I wouldn't feel totally comfortable saying expect bad terrain. I would very specifically say expect terrain that probably needs to be updated for 8th edition. There is going to be a ton of terrain on every table. They're gorgeous tables. Adepticon is a very good-looking tournament. You're going to see a lot of gorgeous models. But in 8th edition, and and part of the reason why ITC has this quote-unquote, house rule uh, that the bottom floors of ruins block line of sight is because if you don't have those things, things like, and this is something worth mentioning, by the way, like four Fire Raptors and Gilliman or, you know, five Fire Raptors or whatever, those kind of lists, um, if you just can't hide and all you're getting is a plus one save, you're gonna get nuked off the face, you know, off the table. Every time. Um, and Adepticon is going to have it that way. Like you, you should not take a list where you're like, all right, well, this unit, in order for it to get its bang for its buck, it needs to be out of line of sight. Do not take that to um, Adepticon because in two of your four games, at least, you will have no option to do that.
0: Yeah, and we can actually segue into talking about Guard and Eldar, uh, right? Uh, Guard in particular love that right they they just they love the ability to have just to be able to shoot down the field and advance with impunity um eldar dark reapers i don't think i don't think the dark reapers are going to get nerfed by adepticon and if they do i don't think adepticon will accept that faq though i'm not sure I, I don't know what i don't know the to personally so i don't know what their general philosophy is but um i imagine if dark reapers get nerfed the week before because they're going to get nerfed in march we, we, we know it's going to happen like it's it's obvious Right, so if they do get nerfed, I, I don't know if they're gonna be accepted at Adepticon. So I'm kind of planning for Dark Reapers and the usual Eldar goodies to show up, um, and they love they they don't they love not having line of sight blocking, right? They they love having open ranges, especially Dark Reapers. Um, if you have a bunch of unchecked, you know, eight unchecked Dark Reaper units that have pretty much clear line of sight to everything big, uh, they're gonna take care of most armies,
1: period. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. They can deep strike them, so it's That's a little true. bit like, and they get to shoot twice anyways because the deep strike happens <laughs> before the, the psychic phase. So the nice thing about being Eldar is like, ah, oh, gosh darn, now I have to spend command points to do it, but I still get to do it. So so don't worry about that too much. I, I think, to your point, Adepticon, in my opinion, is not going to be flooded with Dark Reapers. In fact, I think huh. LVO kind of um, broke the broke the bank on that in the sense that, like, the dominant Eldar lists that really actually did something pretty magnificent had like one or two units of Dark Reapers, and instead, it was a lot of psychic buffing. Obviously, the the spears. Uh, Sean Nane's approach was very abstract. I almost don't even want to talk about that because it was so different. But <laughs> but but Nanavadi, uh, Chester. Chester, those guys, those lists were all about the spears. A big block of Dark Reapers, yes, but then all the characters buffing everything and and just the mobility and general shenanigans of Eldar.
0: That, that is actually a really good point. Uh, one thing I think I expect to see a lot more at Adepticon. Uh, I'll probably be wrong. It, it's kind of the flavor of the month for my team and people I've been talking to is Flyrants. Um, Flyrants are, I guess, really good. I've never played against the list with Flyrants, um, but I guess they're really durable and they have a lot of strength six shooting, and they're fast and they've got psychic powers and they just they're just really good. Um, so I don't know if I don't know if Adepticon I don't know if you'll see a lot of flyerants, but that's kind of been something I've been looking, seeing more and more trending. Um, so I have to think yeah. about that. Like uh, all my characters, I originally had characters without the fly keyword in my list. And I was like, wait a minute, I have to be able to charge fire raptors and, and uh, flyrants and, you know, just specifically fire raptors and storm ravens were my mm-hmm. main concern, but I have to be able to keep up with those things like flyerants and shining spears. Right. Cause if I don't kill them because of a bad combat, they can just zoom away from me and go do other things. Um, so that's been that's been in my radar. Do you, have you heard anything about Flyrance, Jeff? You are the Tyranid expert in this podcast. Oh, yeah,
1: it's a it's a it's it's brutal because the poor. I mean, I say poor Tyranids, but they're doing great. They're they're <laughs> competing very well and doing awesome. But Flyrance are an awesome um, adversary for strong meta stuff. So like in England right now, they're facing a lot of Eldar, specifically Dark Reapers. And that's where the Deep Striking Daka Flyerant comes in and, and just eats them alive. But uh, what's funny about that is the Flyerant, in, in my opinion, is really good in those situations and has some utility and is generally fairly defensible. So it's not like it's a terrible unit, and it's, it's only 200-ish points as well. So we're not talking about a giant investment. But if you've ever shot those Flyerants into Space Marines in ruins or anything like that, Oh my God. I mean, they <laughs> sometimes they have a tough time killing tough three with a two up save, but if it's tough four, they do nothing, right? So if you, I feel like a lot of times those lists that are like, I took six fly runs, you better hope for four Eldar games. And if you get four Eldar games, you're going to do very well. But if you get a couple of Gilliman gun lines or some of these things or any kind of tough seven vehicles, like the, the fire raptors, storm Raiders, that kind of stuff, you're, you're just toast. You're in trouble. How,
0: how well do they hit in close combat?
1: Terribly. Um, okay. That's the new world of 8th edition. So a lot of people, like, they do half DACA and they do half melee, but that's even worse because then they're doing both those things pretty mediocrely. Uh, but if you just do DACA, there are four attacks, I believe, hitting on twos, which is nice, strength six, which is nice, AP nothing. Oh, yeah. One damage.
0: Yeah, so that's that's something your Custodes army wants to see.
1: Anybody wants to see oh, that. that's true. Fucking okay. Eldar Exarchs are jumping between their legs and dick-punching them <laughs> and just having a good time. Um, but again, flyers are good, and it's one of those meta things. So I, I don't, I, I think Eldar or excuse me, Terran List will generally start to include them. But does Adepticon specifically bring them forward? I don't know. You can't hide from them, so that's kind of cool. But you never really could, anyways.
0: Yeah, and that's another good point too. Is is we we are very much in tune with the 40k meta and what's trending. Um, but in general, the general population isn't right. So there are people who still think. Gilliman and ten Razorbacks with assault cannons is like the most broken list ever. Yeah. Right? Or or like Space Marine Devastator Spam is is the king and Magnus and Mortarian and Gilliman are broken models that need to be banned. And you know, it's it's not true. None of that is true. None of that, that stuff hasn't been true since the summer. Right? Um so so it it, it is interesting to kinda think about these meta lists, quote unquote. Um, when in reality they're actually more of like the fringe list that you'll see in the top tables, specifically. Um, so more than likely, you and I are going to face the first two batches we face, we're going to face random dudes with uh, maybe competitive lists that were competitive in the summer, or, you know, maybe they just brought their fun, cool-looking, beautiful Death Chords of the Krieg army, or whatever. Right? Um, I'm I'm more focused on what I'm going to see in the top tables, because traditionally, I usually do pretty well in the early rounds, but I usually play like one competent player, and then I just choke and lose, and I cry myself to sleep. It's pretty much my competitive career in any game.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, let me let me cut to the chase here for you, Pablo. Because because let's let's be honest, all right. So we did the LVO podcast, and I looked into my Magic Eight Ball, and you guys were like, "What's going to be in the top? You know, the top <laughs> eight? And I I was ninety five percent correct. I knew it. I sensed it. It was in my loins. Well, I've got it. I've got the hot scoop for you again, Pablo, on on this next tournament, Adepticon. You wanna know what's gonna make up a big part of that top sixteen? What? Motherfucking demons, my friend. That's it's gonna be demons. And it's and in true. it's a couple things. It's strong in the meta, specifically there. There's a lot of very good demon players that always go to Adepticon. It's had the codex for a little while to foment. We've had uh just today the Thousand Suns FAQ came out as well. Not that I think Thousand Suns are gonna make a huge impact there, but <laughs> the point is there's a lot of demon players. The demon stuff will have sat around for a few months now. Um, And of that top 16, I'm willing to tell you that I think as many as five, maybe six, will be demons. Um, And then a lot of the mid-tables and up is going to have your Bloodletter Bomb, it's going to have your Pinks, it's going to have your Nurgle, etc.
0: Yeah, well, let's let's back-reverse that a little bit and not focus on factions. Let's talk about players who are going to make the top 16, because this isn't the kind of tournament where randoms make the top sixteen or the top eight, um, you know, you know, Brad Chester's probably going to make the top sixteen. We'll probably see jo- Josh Death in the top sixteen. Pajama Pants, Nick Nanavati Tony Almado, A Long, right. With the exception of A Long, I named either an Eldar or a Chaos player, right. Or so they're the those players I mentioned are, and I could probably go on and on. Um, I think we're going to see. You're right. We're going to see a lot of Eldar players. Maybe Nanavati goes back to Chaos, and uh, maybe. Maybe uh, you know, Goat Boy goes. Go Boy is definitely going to run Chaos. Excuse me, he's Goat Boy. Um, he's going to run a Chaos list. There's just there's a lot of the more I think about players who are going to make the top sixteen, the more I realize that you're right. It's going to be Eldar and Chaos with the odd Imperium player. Uh, yes
1: and no. I I don't know that. Um, I I mean I think Eldar is the faction and the best players are playing Eldar. So so like you said, you're going to see a lot of those same faces and, and what they're going to be running is probably something along the lines of Eldar. Um, this is, I I like what you said at the beginning of the podcast, Adepticon is kind of the big kickoff tournament for the new season, uh, which is kind of funny, you know, because the LBO ending in, um, January or whatever is, is kind of a funny thing. It's like, now we're in the next season, but it's, we're already in the next year. Anyways, so I do think there'll be a lot of Eldar, probably four or five, maybe six. I do, I want to stick to my prediction, four or five, maybe six, but I'm sticking. it's closer to four or five Demon. Um, but I think what's kind of cool about LBO is we've also seen that there's going to be some stuff that we weren't predicting that is going to do well. Our Blood Angel's going to stick around and, and continue to, to wow people? Um, I think so. I don't think so. I think Death Company are so expensive. Is it because you're a hater, Pablo, though? It's, are you hating? It's because,
0: it's because a Death Company list that comes down and doesn't do its job is going to lose every single time. It, it's not not even gonna come close. Like if you one bad die roll and you're done. And other armies like Eldar and Chaos, they they don't have to worry about that. One single bad die roll isn't gonna ruin that army because they they have so much redundancy. Whereas the Blood Angels lists, um, even like Mike Brandt's Blood Angels plus Guard list, like those lists just the Wall Walkers. So much, yeah, <laughs> there's there's They've so been... many points. There's so many points in those Death Company units. And you the when I played them, just that one time when I played Frankie. I realized that I needed them to do so much for me. Uh, mm. And when I was talking to Mark from Arizona, the guy who made it with the Pure Blood Angels, Mark Wright. Mark Wright, he was saying the same thing. He was like, yeah, those those Death Company and Sanguinary Guard consistently needed to make, like, 10-inch charges, uh, wipe out entire units of whatever you need them to wipe out, um, and to survive, and, you know, it's just, they're not very survivable. and I, 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 don't, I don't predict Blood Angels, but you might be wrong. I think I might there'll be
1: still wrong. be a couple. There'll be elements. So I think Blood Angels are going to become a little bit of the Allied thing. The cool thing about Mark Wright's run at LVO is that he was pure Blood Angels, but yes. I think you're going to see some Death Company shenanigans mixed in with some other stuff, because they just give that mobility and they give that drop that Space Marines needed. Um, so we'll see some of it. I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said. I just think when you start saying stuff like, they need good dice rolls, my eyes roll a little bit, because I'm like, <laughs> so does everything. But, you know, like there's you're there right. are lists like Eldar where it's like, they need good dice rolls with plus one re-rollable and command points. And you're like, oh, good luck with that 85% success rate. You know, it's like not to be too much of an Eldar hater here. Um, but the other things that I think we're going to see this tournament, and I wish we had Val here because I would tell you, you're going to see an Orc. You're going to see an Orc in that top 16.
0: I don't know. LVO, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of saddened by, by Orc. I've had two LVOs in a row where I wanted an Orc player to do well, and and every single Orc player has disappointed me, to the point where a listener emailed me and said, Pablo, you need to stop hexing Orc players. Like, you just need to stop predicting us to make the top tables at events. Like, you know, stop. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop doing it. You know what, Orc players? You're on your own this year.
1: (sighs) But my hater prediction, and I want it to be wrong, and I'm going to root against whoever takes it, it could be... Sean Naden's lovely aunt, who's like the nicest lady on planet Earth. But if, but someone's going to take four, like not someone, but like 13 people are going to take at least four fire raptors, maybe three if they're really trying to mix it up and play a fluffy list or something. Uh, but a couple of those are going to get dangerously close. I do like that the meta natural predator for a list like that is Eldar, but again, and now Adepticon is like a 200 ish players, which is a giant tournament. LVO is a different beast at like it was almost 500, mm-hmm. but it was it was still disappointing that a couple of these lists were like, yeah, man, if I would have ran into some Eldar, I would have had a tough time. I, like, the Fire Raptor list still did well. Nick Rose made a list specifically to kill Eldar. He never faced one. Uh, the guy with 16 hellhounds was like, I'm here to mulch Eldar. He never faced like one.
0: That.
1: Yeah. yeah, so so that stuff, that stuff out there can happen, you know, and I, I think there are these people that have those lists in the middle of the country that will come. Um, And I'm not saying build a list and kill four Fire Raptors, but I am saying to my, like, fellow um, Tarantid players, if you were thinking about running, like, 80 Genesos because you just think that's cool, be aware. Be aware of the fact that you might just get that bad matchup with Flyers and then just, you know, you're dead.
0: Or never get the good matchup you want. And and that's another thing, too, is there's a guy, Trent Northington. Maybe you've heard of him. He does pretty good. He's in the top ten at IDC. He's ran uh, three or four Fire Raptors plus Gilliman every single time since etc right uh just been running it forever since eighth edition began and trent northington has just been drunkenly beating everyone except for maybe one player and the top table that's like at the lvo he went five and one with three fire Raptors and gilliman and you're gonna run into a guy like that and you know you're gonna think like oh i've got i've got the list the list to end all lists to beat eldar lists and then you run into sean nade and it's like well it, that that was your Eldar matchup and you lost and that yeah. that happens that happens often you you know you'd be surprised by how many people have come up to him and be like oh I think I've got this PD Pob, I've got this Eldar player and I'm like oh who you're playing and they're like oh some guy named Nick Nana Veti and I'm like Nana oh, well. Nana not gonna work here anymore yeah, yeah yeah and I'm like well you're sorry have a good game um that happens and that that's gonna happen at Adepticon it Adepticons I I really wish I could look at their player list but I imagine they're their player it's list good, is Pablo. insane, right? It's very good. Yeah. I imagine, Like this is where the players all go to hang out and, and drink beer after the LVO and, and, you know, win and do well. So I, I'm excited. Um, I think, I think we've beaten the meta horse to yeah. death a little bit. Uh, so we're going to take a little bit of a commercial break here and then we're going to talk about my list, my adepticon list, Jeff's adepticon list. We're just going to briefly go over them cool. and then we're going to talk about that tournament mindset that I think I need to get into. Are you looking to promote your event or 40K-related product to an audience of like-minded gamers? Try out a sponsorship with Chapter Tactics. For an average industry rate, you can have your tournament, convention, or unique product advertised here in this time slot. If you or someone you know is interested, please email me at frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. Once again, that's frontlinegaming, P-E-T-E-Y-P-A-B, at gmail.com. And thank you very much for your consideration. And we're back. Jeff, what are you bringing to Adapticon?
1: Pablo, I'm glad you asked. I am bringing my custodies list um, that you may or may not have seen on Frontline Gaming in a Battle Report, uh, which was just one of my first few games playing it, so give me some time. I'll get better. I, if I lose to Reese, I know something's wrong, so I, I have <laughs> to figure some stuff out. But otherwise, we're okay. Um, it's going to be three shield captains. Uh, each one of them, I'm one of the things that I'm kicking around is perhaps giving them the missiles. We'll see. Um, five Veritas Praetor Bikes, and they're going to have the Hurricane Bolters. Then I'm going to have... It's a battalion. It's going to be three troop choices of three Custody Guards, and uh, they're just bare bones with spears. Then I'm going to have a Guard Battalion with two Company Commanders so that I can get that Grand Strategist and have the Kurov's Aquila Relic on the other one. Uh, I do like to split that up so that it's not too many eggs in one basket, where if they somehow get the Warlord, i just lose everything back there. Um, three troop choices that are just going to have mortars, bare bones, uh, heavy support is a triple mortar team. Well, a mortar team with three mortars. And then, um, I'm going to have an assassin. Well, I guess it's technically an imperium vanguard detachment with probably a primaris psyker and a force stave for the bare bones is cheapest way I can do it. Um, it, but he also actually is able to cast the plus one save, um, on the guard unit, which is kind of cool. It's not super amazing, but it's like something a little nice, I guess, if they're in cover and then they get that power. They have a three plus, so look out. Um, and then I'm going to be running an Eversir, a Calidus, and two Colexus. Um, it's a little bit something to change, uh, because I don't have the Calidus model right now, and I'm, I, I, I should have it before that. It's supposed to be due early March. Anyways, love this list, PD. Love this list.
0: It's custodes are, are really cool they're just they look like they're super fun to play and they surprisingly can really mess you up like like really really like i was just looking at um when you said custodian guard uh with the spears i was like yes because i actually think those are the the secret sauce um Mm -hmm. just because they're they're a troop choice so you like you kind of you kind of don't expect them to do a lot right so if you go and you're like shoot shining spears into them like the shining spears actually will kind of crumple a little bit and also, you can always pop that stratagem and give them plus one to wound on their spears. And all of a sudden, they've got. Uh, do you have units of five? Are the units of five or nope, three? No, use three so, so they've they've got ten attacks. You know, hitting on twos, multi damage with plus one to wound. Right, like it's, it's it, can, it can get it can hurt.
1: They're so, really fun. They have mega objective secured. So just if they're on an objective, they have it unless someone has a similar rule that specifically says it's something above objective secured. Basically. Um, they are just to fill out the battalion, and, and it's still 450-some-odd points of, of custodies. But like you said, what I really like about them is that basically towards the end of the game, they're kind of the afterthought. People are like, all right, now it's time to get into Jeff's backfield. And they're like, wait a second. There's nine custodian guard back there, and they are all fucking monsters. So it's it's really, really fun that way. Um, I like the deck that the bikes have. I'm really excited about that for what you could potentially face um, at Adepticon and elsewhere. It's, it's just... 12 each if they're in, you know, double tap range, hitting on twos, re-rolling as long as a shield captain's nearby, which he almost always is. Um, so it's 60 bolter shots going into something, hitting, you know, 58 or seven times, basically. Um, and then wounding pretty, pretty well as well, especially if they're tough three. So it's a lot of DACA. Uh, they hit like a truck. They have a lot of shenanigans with their able to charge in your opponent's charge phase, which is really fun. And then one of the other strategies I really like with him too, is Avenge the Fallen, um, where, like, my unit of five, if I lose three guys, those last two guys are swinging seven times each, so it's 14 attacks between the two of them, uh, which can really catch people off guard as well. Strength six, re-rolling on the charge, um, D3 damage, minus three.
0: What traits, what warlord traits do you take?
1: Well, I just take the Grand Strategist. So okay. it's a ten command point list because it's two battalions and a Vanguard... And then I'm on every command point they spend on a five plus, I'm getting more. And every single command point I spend on a five plus, it, it doesn't, you know, get paid. Um, and then the last, and I'm the part that of the list, and I'm a little bit sad because it's kind of like I had this momentous erection for my custodians, but then all of a sudden I'm falling madly in love with this assassin detachment. It is so damn fun to play them and they pair with custodians really cool too. Cause like you said, it's like an army of heroes, but. The Calidus nukes people's first turn, um, stuff that they want to do. Like most people spend most of their command points in that first turn on a four plus. She makes you spend an additional command point for it to go off. So a lot of times people are spending two, three, four different stratagems, um, you know, six, eight command points sometimes. If they're a big alpha strike list in that first turn, well, that can be all your command points. They're all gone. Um, and then I like to use her as like an objective thing. But one of the things I, I like about this list for synergy with the assassins is those Calexus obviously double up as anti-psyker guys, but they are my Vanguard grabbers. They're my line breaker grabbers. They are my sit on objectives on the progressive missions. Yep. And then people just look at the Colexus mm-hmm. and are like, well, I don't fucking want to deal with that at all. Like it's just such a pain in the ass to shoot at, which is good because my bikes always die. They're out there fighting. They're doing awesome stuff, but they're going to die. So I need someone to sit on objectives and score that for me all game.
0: Yeah, and characters are really good at hiding in plain sight because of the character rule. So, yeah. so running a bunch of characters is, is important um, for for uh, uh, in a place like Adepticon. Um, one thing one thing to know about the Caladus Assassin because I've been using the Caladus Assassin since it came out in Eighth Edition because mm-hmm. I, I do love it so much um, is its ability to deep strike within nine inches. Oh, right? yeah. So so a lot of times my Caladus Assassin will deep strike into a position near my opponent's warlord or near a key critical HQ choice and like Dwight Freeney weave his way through <laughs> a unit and just tackle the warlord like sack like yeah it, it's it can really throw your opponent off guard um just the little positions you can get your caldus into and threaten key things or even just yep. threaten like tying up a rhino or whatever, or some sort of vehicle you wanna you wanna stop, or like two plague burst crawlers, which is something one of my Calidus assassins did. Got rolled the one, so got within four inches of of a unit behind a wall. He was like, oh, are you gonna charge my my typhus? Typhus has got like three billion attacks and wounds you on twos and does three damage. They're like, no, I'm just gonna charge around your typhus and get these two plague burst crawlers right here, uh, and they're not gonna be able to shoot you on your turn because they can't hurt this Calidus assassin. And the guy's like, oh. That was pretty smart, and I was like, I know. So yeah, it's the Calidus Assassin. Is a, I love that model. And by the way, Jeff, if mm-hmm. if, if you want to borrow Sheila, my
1: assassin, okay. you can. I, you oh, know, thank
0: you. It's okay. I can I can take a different assassin for my list because I've been going back. Yeah, and we'll forth. figure it out.
1: Yeah, but the last one. The last one, though, I have to give a special nod because in all my games, which is just three so far again, I'm waiting for the wonderful Frontline Gaming Paint Studio to finish up with my army, and then I'm gonna get my staple five or six games a weekend, but um, <laughs> the Everser, I kind of threw it in there as like a, yeah, my idea was go after scouts, go kill Nurglings, whatever, but my list really needed the ability to put my heavy hitters against their heavy hitters, and then I don't want to be firing horrifically inaccurate guard mortar shots at, at scouts and nurglings hoping for something different. Um, so I wanted these assassins. The Everser has been worth it in every... Situation, I've I, like, really? remarkably survivable. He hits eight attacks, hitting on twos, rerolling to wound on the charge. Uh, it's strength five minus one. It, it, he's just like, he destroys what he's supposed to destroy. Like, if anyone throws him into a unit of 20 gene sealers, no, he's not coming out of that ahead. But, but when he's fighting against a, a pretty, you know, substantial block, yeah, where he can charge <laughs> dark reapers and stuff, like, just yeah. all kinds of things like that, he will take care of business. And it's amazing. And he gets a 3d6 charge too, so I haven't failed yet. I know it's coming, obviously, but, um, he just has these things that make it very likely that he's gonna get done what you want him to do.
0: Yeah, it, um, you know, I, the assassins, cause it's not like last edition where you only took the Clexus assassin, but you needed to take a Clexus assassin. Um, you know, I always am torn between the Kalidus, the Clexus, and the Eversor. Right, cause they're, they're all similar in points. 85 is the Calexus, That's the highest 75 that ever saw. So they're in that 75 to 85 point range, which is very easy to move around when you're switching them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just they do so many things. Now that now that we've gotten more stratagems, the Calidus is just looking that much more better because she was the weakest of three. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think taking one of each, I, I think with your list I, w- I would personally take a second Kalexis, um, just I to do. have I have a single So you take four assassins?
1: Yep, two Collexus, okay. one yep. Eversor and one Calidus.
0: Well then, then with your list, I would maybe look at taking a third Colexus. Uh but I don't know. The Eversor is really good. I think having two colexuses and an Eversor um is solid and then the Calidus of course is, is gravy. Uh sorry, I didn't actually hear that you had two of them, but yeah, it it's they're they're good. I having multiple collexis assassins I think if you can do that, I think that's always the best if you're going to take multiple assassins um, because they can feed off of each other. Uh, two Clexus assassins is nearly impossible to shoot off of Linebreaker, um, especially when you deep strike them far away from everything. Uh, and then, you know, more psychic coverage, et cetera, et cetera. They're just, they're good models. Um, yep. But you've got, sounds like you've got the, the right way to go with your assassin strike force kill team alpha, whatever you call them. You're, you're... They don't have a
1: name yet. We'll get an identity, though. We'll figure <laughs> it out.
0: All right. Uh, so do you have any matchups that you're concerned with?
1: Well, I mean, we'll see in practice. Um, I, I really enjoyed my games while I was visiting you guys because it gave me perspective on what I thought to be true, and that was that the 3++, obviously, on Shield Captains is amazing. The bikes are defensible but not invincible, so you have to kind of respect their their threats. Um, and then I'm, I'm excited to kind of test out the patience of it because I think there's a really strong play where you let people come in on you and then you deep strike in the block of bike units and a shield captain and then counter-assault, essentially, when you have your custodian guards and bikes there to threaten and then your assassins are out there zoning things out and holding objectives and killing peripheral stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah, No, I'm I'm excited to see it in action. You you'll definitely have to come back on sometime before Depticon and talk about Custodes. So I think there's yeah. a, a lot of people who really want to see how Custodes work. right? Because they're such so cool models and I remember when they came out, everyone loved them. So I think yep. that would be a cool conversation to have. Uh, I'm just going to talk about my list a little bit. If uh, you guys listened last week, you guys heard me talk about my list Um, and specifically how to be, how to deal with Eldar. Um, so I'm not going to go into too much detail with my list. So if you want to Want more detail? You can either email me, I'll send you a copy of my list, or you can you can go listen to the last episode. But I have a Space Marine Battalion detachment with either Raven Guard or White Scars. I haven't decided yet. Raven Guard give me the minus one to hit, but have no really good stratagems or help or anything really other than the minus one hit for my army. Whereas White Scars give me the ability to charge an assault or uh, uh, advance an assault, which is kind of good for my army, specifically the Scout Bikers that I have. Um, but they also give me a cool stratagem, uh, which lets a unit basically be able to shoot, advance, and charge. Um, or I think they can advance and still shoot something. It's, 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 uh, it gives me more mobility and more a more dynamic playstyle. Um, but the Raven Guard also help me. They keep my three scout squads alive, and they keep my scout bikers alive, which can be pretty critical. Uh, then I have a Thunderfire Cannon and two Smashfucker Captains. Uh, Smashfucker Captain is the Thunderhammer, Jump Pack, Storm Shield Captain... Super cheap, really good. Uh, I can't speak enough for that model in particular. Reese loves them. He actually goes mm-hmm. to bed with his Smashfucker captains, his Blood Angels captain. He just rubs it every night before bed, uh, gives it a little kiss, but they're good. They're, they're they're really good. And so that's my Space Marine Battalion attachment. The Scout Bikers are by far, MVPs, the best unit, maybe even in my army. Um, and I have Celestine in this list. Uh, so if you don't know what Scout Bikers do, they have 24 shots, uh, at a 12 inch range. They can move 22 inches. They can move 16 and still charge. If they're white scars, they can move 22 and still charge. Uh, they have two attacks each, three for the sergeant in close combat. So they don't, they're not that bad in close combat. Uh, and when they leave combat, they have a stratagem that does mortal wounds. And they, they're just, that's it. That's pretty much it. But they're cheap. They're 77 points. So for 77 points, you get a unit that could potentially kill half of, uh, a 20-man cultist blob. Yeah,
1: they're that's, amazing.
0: That's that's good. Um, So that's that's the reason why I take them. Uh, I've got an Imperium Detachment with Celestine and either a Primaris Psych like, or a Company Commander. I think after what you told me, Jeff, I think I'm going to go with the Company Commander because I want my infantry squads to be able to move, move, move. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just get down the board quickly. Uh, so um, I have three infantry squads for my troop choices, I have an Assassin, and I have two seraphim inferno pistol seraphim which i'm thinking i might want to take out now i'm not i'm not sure uh they're, they're really good for for both tying getting up in your opponent's face and tying up things um they can also just nuke a vehicle or a building if they need to right with you they charge it and then they shoot it in your act in your movement phase and then they shoot it in their shooting phase because it's a pistol weapon um so they can keep a model or unit kind of tied up and then they can shoot it with inferno pistols until it dies um so they're they're really good. They're in general they're really good little toolbox fast units. And then I have a uh, uh, custodes detachment of three shield captains on Don Eagle jet bikes because they wow. I, they're the best. They're they're one of the best models in the game right now. They're so good, uh, and they are also that's going to be where my warlord comes from. And the reason why I have my warlord there is because Don Eagle jet bike captains are not good uh, without that without that three uh, plus in bold. I think. Uh, so if I don't make them my warlord, I, even though it is a custodes attachment, so they do get that four plus plus. If you make them your warlord, there's one relic that gives you a plus one your invuln, and then there's another relic that gives a don eagle character a three plus invuln. Um, so you make two of mm-hmm. them, you to make two of them a three plus plus. That and my, also my list is kind of a psychic light, uh, in the sense that I I don't have a lot of psychic defense. Um, <clears throat> I could switch over to black templars to take the Black Templar stratagem, though I don't know if I really like that. It does make my characters a little better. Um, but the Custodes get access to denies with stratagems, and they also have a Warlord trait that lets them deny, too. Uh, so th- and I figure those guys are going to be up front. So that's that's kind of my, where my psychic defense come from and why I made them my Warlord. Um, I do realize that that's risky, but uh, I hopefully plan on having my Warlord Don Eagle Jet Captain on objectives in outside of my deployment zone to for that easy tertiary score and then hopefully he can survive a couple turns i don't know Uh, oh and then i have celestine celestine celestine's awesome she's she's the lady and in a in a non-itc mission she's almost a must take in imperium armies Um, in this case she only gives up a maximum of two two points she's 250 so three points or though she's 225 i took a Gemini. So she's only two points when you when you kill her. You have to kill her twice to get those two points. And in the meantime, she's zooming around. Um, you can suicide her really well. So and get her in position to kill other things. Um, she's just a great model. She gives you an extra act of faith. And that's it. So that's the list. It's a uh, more of an in your face kind of list. A little cerebral. Um, and I'm I'm really hoping I can efficiently kill blobs with with the hurricane bolters from the jet bikes and the scout bikers.
1: Oh yeah
0: yeah so that's it a lot of DACA. a lot of daca a lot of a lot of threat overload um, you're really gonna have to be worried about the the Don eagle jet Bike characters are just so good. they just
1: mm-hmm.
0: they just do a lot they put a lot of pressure on your opponent um, and they can when they gang up on stuff they can kill anything um, but that's it uh, as I'm going into Adepticon, uh, I'm a little I'm a little concerned with time with this list because I'm actively using stratagems from two factions and there's a lot of movement and a lot of memorization so i have to get a lot of practice in with this with this game and that leads me to the final topic which is getting into a tournament mindset now the reason why i wanted to bring this up is because there's a i think jeff and i are of actually actual similar skill level um in terms of 40k right so in a vacuum if you were to test both of us have us play 10 games i think we would come out 50 50 might be wrong but that's just how i feel um I don't I don't see Jeff as this like guy who's like Sean Naden way above me, right? But I would always at a tournament I would always pick Jeff to do perform better than me at a tournament every time, uh, and that's because Jeff is has always been this kind of consummate professional serious gamer. He's always had this kind of tournament mentality that I've just never taken into a 40k game. Uh, I just generally tend to play tournament game 40k games more aloof, and I tend to have a little bit more fun and go for the glory. Um, so Jeff, uh, when you when you were in your StarCraft days, and you were you were uh, you know competing against the best, and and knowing that you could actually you know you might be able to beat them, um, what what did you kind of do to get ready and get into this like tournament mindset? What is is there even a tournament mindset? Am I just am I just uh, you know spitballing here and grasping at straws, or is this actually a thing?
1: No, I think there absolutely is. I'm not sure. Um... The correlation between preparing for a StarCraft tournament and Warhammer is very similar, but one of the ones where it does kind of have a crossroads is really nice is uh, preparation. StarCraft is an extremely mechanical game, so if you know you could be as informed as anyone ever is on your opponents or who you're going to probably play against, the maps, the meta, all that stuff. But if you're like, yeah, but lately I've been putting in one to two hours a day, four or five hours, or four or five days a week you're not going to do that well. It's just not really possible. StarCraft is a game of speed, mechanics, similar to that, but in a different way. Warhammer is a game um measured by repetition of gameplay and knowledge of rules. So, like, you could have a great list, you could be a great player, but if you're just playing one or two games every other week or even less, which I hear from, you know, I think the average person even does then you're just not going to encounter some of the new stuff that's getting released bi-weekly. You're just not going to be as up-to-date on a lot of the FAQs that are coming out, and the meta's going to be a little bit more fuzzy for you, et cetera, et etc. Cetera. But even just beyond those specifics, the game itself is going to be... um You're not going to be as familiar with how hard a Death Company hits, or you don't know about... Uh, zombie factory and, and, and how incredibly impossible it can be to stop or how you need to handle it. Those kind of things, those kind of things that, that do get ironed out or at least you become equipped with their impact after playing games. So tournament mentality for me and Warhammer in particular is playing several games a week, especially if you're forking out, a, a big chunk of cash to grab a hotel and travel to somewhere like Schomburg, <laughs> Chicago. Um, it's not cheap to go there necessarily. And even if you're a wealthy person, you're still spending a lot of money. So, um, going there and then just losing because you're like, what's a bloodletter bomb. And he's like, let me show you. And then that's how you lose. When had you asked or played those games before and been like, son of a bitch, my scouts that I normally put out mid table, cause I want to zone out for my own drop. If I would have pulled them back and created a nine, 10, 15 inch zone of space where yes, he's killing scouts, but he's not getting into the teeth of my list. Then that game goes completely differently, right? So get those games in, attend those RTTs leading up to it. If it's local or whatever, maybe the competition's not super amazing, but it's again a better way of getting a variety of games. Because another part of it too, where if it's like I play with my brother six games a week, but your brother only plays that same Abaddon Black, you know, Black Legion list, and you are the Eldar guy that runs the same list, that's still cool. And it's better than doing nothing, but it's not as beneficial as getting out there and seeing what people are playing and talking about it. So that's the first big part, I would say.
0: Okay. Uh, so there's there's one one thing I I wanted I wanted to expand on further and ask you another question on. Um. And buckle up because I'm going to both massage and poke at your ego at the same time. Sure. And that's well, what you I... already
1: did when you said you're as good as me. It's it's we're the, we're there. <laughs> so we're
0: yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get your StarCraft ego. Uh, so when I watch you on Twitch, I don't watch you all the time. So I don't. I'm mm-hmm. not a jeff expert but um when i watch you and i know i know a lot about science and competition and i know older gamers tend to lose reflexes and uh you're not you're not like the best micro player in starcraft ever like if you nope. were to face a like a bomber in like uh uh what are those those teleporting dragoon things stalkers right like, if, you, sure. if you were to have if you were to face off in like a moba against bomber with like five, five, five stalkers i think you would lose every time right
1: um i use a Terran player no longer plays but yeah i I get what you're saying
0: whatever you you know my point uh, and that the point is is that that there are there's a reflex micro element to starcraft and then there's also macro preparation element to starcraft too and it's if you if you were to transfer that over to 40k um you do extremely well you're still in terms of your age terms of uh, uh, when you compare to other games and maybe league of legends is a bad example but when compared to other esports older players tend to either fall off or go somewhere else um, but you you do really well with your starcraft games even though you are an older player you were quote past your prime and the prime of an esports like tournament player is like 20s early 20s because that's Agreed. when you're at your re- your reflexes are at your height right so i i think that there's more to this that you're maybe maybe you're not uh, grasping or maybe i just want more clarification on um in terms of this tournament mindset like when you're playing when you're playing starcraft is it just that you really want to beat this guy and you're thinking about like everything maps uh, macro positioning bases etc cetera, etc cetera, or is it just that you have you have this you have this you're, you're taking it seriously because you're on twitch and you want to prove that you're the best right so is it knowledge or is it like mindset or is it a little bit of both
1: uh interesting question. I this is something we could talk about for hours. The the, the TLDR yes. for me is when um someone's skill starts to fall off, it's not actually that they're slowing down or anything like that. I've actually had this pet theory for a while, but a younger person has less things clogging up their mind and, and it the point A to point B between decision making in a video game in a competitive game where they're fighting for a hundred thousand dollars in front of a hundred thousand people. Um, it's easier for a younger person to get there because they're the gravity of what's happening, the tension, the pressure, it's not quite there as much. Um, they don't have bills to pay taxes. They don't have a wife or a husband. They don't like all these different things that start to bog down a person's mind as they get older and starts to slow those decisions down. Um, they're not able to take those gambles quite as like instantly. In Starcraft, you have to sometimes make a choice where it's like, information is presented to you, and you need to make that choice two seconds later. So that's where the repetition and speed of the game comes in, because if your mechanics are sharp, and if you put yourself in that situation before, then you're able to make that choice like that in two seconds, whereas somebody else might be like, "Uh, mm, not sure, go back, and then they miss Micro, and now they're dead. They just lost their War Prism and two Immortals, and that was their whole strategy, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so in StarCraft, you, you do all the mechanics, you do all the repetitions so that you can get to that situation, and you're not thinking, to your point um uh i want to beat this guy or i want to look good in front of people you're just going through motions that you've done a million times before with the general white noise of i'm here because i want to be better and i want to win and then the details from there are you know background you're not thinking in the middle of a starcraft game like i really want to beat this guy you're just you're just playing to win
0: okay that's that's interesting and i think i think that's probably makes you a better player than me um because when i when i play I do tend to uh, get put into positions where I probably could be more practiced, um, you know, with certain deployment styles. uh, Maybe tend more defensive deployments in particular. Uh, So I definitely don't just go through the motions. Whereas when I watch you play, uh, 40k, not going back to 40k, uh, you -hmm. do tend to be a lot more cooler and calmer, and you also don't really go for these crazy elaborate like moves, right? So for me, I I will I will try to you know put my perfect example I will try to put my calidus assassin 4 inches away from a unit to get that cool plague burst crawler double double block and I'm like yeah um but I will also stubbornly do that I think it's maybe because I'm I'm younger um although I'm I'm 27 now so I can't really use the younger card anymore You're still young Pablo <laughs> Um I, I might be younger I might I might be uh maybe more aggressive more passionate I don't I don't know what you call it um but I've definitely do tend to go for the more the more huzzah you know well
1: to your point Pablo and this is what's so beautiful about this game and and it's very apt you compared to Starcraft the play style and flavor of the player is able to shine through so for you you will take more risks you will do that cool fancy move that may be less likely to actually happen but because you know, you, 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 you side on that side of the coin, it's capable of happening. And where I would compare this to the average player is I would say the more games you play, the more likely you are to know the impact of that Kalidus making that charge, um, or how often it happens and is beneficial to you. Whereas a lot of times, if you're in a situation where in the middle of a game and this is the one to go into the top 16 at Adepticon, oh my god, I'm Mark Wright and I took Blood Angels, I can't believe this is happening again, Mm -hmm. but you haven't been in a situation where you charge into, let's just use Plague Burst Crawlers as the example, then you're taking a big gamble. But if you're Mark Wright and you've done your due diligence and you've played five games a week and Don Houston is your plutonic lovemate that who cares if a little bit of hand (laughs) goes into each other's pants, that's something guys do, (laughs) you now know what it's like and what happens when you charge Plague Burst Crawlers, and you can make that decision with an informed idea of what generally happens, right? It's still a test game. If I'm just rolling solid sixes, then that's a miraculous, awesome moment that I guess could happen. But the more games you play, the more situations you're in, the better informed you are on those situations.
0: And, and that's actually a really good point. And uh, I think my the best game that I'm playing right now is actually Pokemon, um, mm-hmm. competitive Pokemon I'm in the top 100 um, in my, not division, but my, like, whatever, long, long story short, I, I'm really good at Pokemon. Uh, don't six v six me in Pokemon Showdown. Or I'll probably beat you. Um, but I, I tend to gravitate towards these dynamic, you know, gotcha moments in that game. Um, but th- there's a lot of risk reward management in in that game and in 40k. Uh, and the way I I do that is because I always like going for the risk riskier moves. Is uh, sure. I I look at other games repetitively over and over again so if like if every single person and we'll just move this to 40k if every single eldar player was putting their guardians in this position in this spot um every single time right like this every eldar player is doing it it's not always the most optimal thing but it's just always a a meta tendency um i will do this weird kind of faint maneuver to get those guardians to move five inches towards an objective uh, and then score the objective on the flip side that they can no longer get to because they move a certain amount of inches Long story short, um, you can go for riskier plays if you're one of those players like me who likes going for the flourish huzzah, you know, photo finish awesome maneuver. Um, but it the re, the way I get it away within Pokemon is I look at what everyone does every single time. Right. And that's actually kind of how I make my name in that Pokemon community is I, I go for I, I go for a specific Pokemon lead a Clefable. Every is like this little shitty Pokemon that everyone expects to just sit there and sponge damage, um, but I give it a wide variety of moves, and it's a really aggressive Clefable, and it usually always kills my opponent's leads, and five out of my ten games I play, my opponent always rage quits immediately after I take out their lead, right? And just every single time, mm-hmm. and I love that, and it's it's very aggressive. I get through games very quickly, but you know, three or four games out of those ten games, I'll also have it backfire um, where it's, because it's such a weird maneuver, and I'm stuck with this this shitty, bad Pokemon in Clefable, um, you know, it's just playing that aggressive playstyle is something I've always wanted to do, um, and I'm really glad you told me that in particular, because in 40k, I don't do that a lot. I don't look at uh, what everyone else is doing in repetition, and um, I think I just need that more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm going to play like 20 games before Adepticon. No, more than that, like 40 games before Adepticon, hopefully, Good. I can find the right players. Uh, but I think that, that's, I think you're right, I think that is the tournament mindset. Um, though, you are a very more of a I don't know are are you a conservative StarCraft player? I don't watch enough StarCraft to determine that, but I, I have the feeling that you are.
1: <laughs> I are... wish no, I'm considered a I'm considered they use the word cheesy, but a little wild card will do crazy stuff. So
0: so you'll you'll do like wild card crazy stuff, but but you don't you don't go for like crazy flashy moves. You go for like cheeky moves. Right.
1: Uh, yes, no. So in StarCraft 2, I actually, because I split my time between commentating and leading uh, evil geniuses and stuff like that, I, I never was super successful in StarCraft 2. But in Brood War, where I won the national championship and, and won several tournaments and did very well, I played Zerg and was a little bit closer to your example. I, I wasn't a flashy, cheesy, or exotic player, but I played a different style. So whatever everybody else was doing to emulate the Koreans, I didn't play that way. I played okay. my own style.
0: Okay. All right, that's that's cool.
1: Which is kind of how I do Warhammer. It's very reflective of our personality. So in Warhammer, I took Tarranted lists that other people weren't playing and and tried to do well with it. You know, um, I was one of the first adapters of the Warcon. Uh, that obviously became a no brainer, which everyone switched over to. And then <laughs> uh, I'm one of the. We'll see what happens, but I'm an early adopter of Custodies. I I believed in them on the concept level. I'm going to try to make them good.
0: Okay, that's that's a good that's a good mirror. I can definitely see that now. Uh, Jeff likes to win his own way, just like you guys listening. Like 90% of you guys like to win your own way. Um, Jeff is the same way. And then you've got people like Nick Nonavati who who play hundreds of games and have all the time in the world to be the best 4K player in the world. Not saying that that's why he's the best. He's also because he's also a really intelligent guy. Um, mm-hmm. But Nick Nonavati definitely, as you alluded to before, he has a lot of time on his hands. Um, as opposed to me, I've got a kid, a job... I've got a commentary, I've got this podcast running, and I've also got to, you know, be the best X-Wing player I can be, and the best 40k player I can be. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in this Pablo brain, um, so I really needed this pep talk, and I hope you guys got a lot out of this talk too. Uh, I really wanted this to be more about um, a conversation between two buddies who are about to go to a big event, um, typically mm-hmm. what you would expect, maybe at the after a tournament, so like if Jeff and I were at a tournament and we're getting beers or going out to dinner or whatever, this is oftentimes the kind of conversations you have in those moments, and I actually feel like that's that's where the best players really shine and the best communities are. Right? So, like, Relentless D, when we go to tournaments together, we always go out to dinner together oh, yeah. afterwards, and we talk, like, non-stop tactics, non-stop th- this kind of stuff. This, you know, just kind of free-range, jumping around, but still focused around winning and being competitive and camaraderie. Yeah. So, wanted to give you guys this little experience. Uh, Jeff, Thanks very much for coming on and and talking StarCraft with me. I'm not I'm not big on the StarCraft scene like you, so so I hope I didn't sound make too much of a fool of myself.
1: Um, No, that's (laughs) fine. All
0: right, but anyways, guys, thanks for coming on. Jeff, is there any last words you want to say?
1: Um, just that you know, if if anybody has any questions or comments about this kind of thing, we always adamantly check the um the page on frontline gaming and, and keep the discussion going there. I'd love to answer questions or help, or if you disagree with something or didn't like that, uh, I said one thing or another, feel free to talk about it there. Um, and then March is going to be a big month. Adepticon is the last tournament for me that month, but I'm also going to an Arizona team tournament. And then it just so happens that GT is happening in Portland, Oregon, where my wife's family is. We're going to go visit them and I'm going to play there as well. So I'm going to take the custodians to all of this. And hopefully after March, I love them as much as I do now because I'm really excited, but we'll, we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think I think custodes have a real shot to do well, and I really hope you succeed because I'm one of those guys who loves the the narrative of tournaments. Oh and yeah. The, just, I'm creaming myself just thinking about the custodes winning a like, I know it's a little gruesome, but, <laughs> but all right.
1: Well, I'll try.
0: <laughs> well, it, no pressure, and honestly, seriously, no pressure. Like. If if you go five and one uh, or I guess seven and one or six and two at Adepticon with custodes, that's already a big feat. That's and that's very yeah, we'll easy see. for you to do. Um, very very possible. Now I shouldn't say easy, just possible. It's possible. Yeah. But anyways, guys, if you guys liked what you heard, let me know. This is a bit of a different podcast than especially last week's podcast. Um, but like I said, it was something I wanted to do and wanted to show you share with you guys. Let me know if you guys liked it pdpab at gmail.com or if you want to talk, hang out, ask advice. Uh, I have been having a hard time keeping up with my emails lately. However, when I do re- finally respond to emails, I try to make it more of a conversation. I try to ask you questions and I try to engage you for a few emails back and forth before I inevitably have to get drawn into work again. Um, so don't be afraid to email me and don't worry if I don't respond. doesn't mean I didn't like you. It just means that I'm I'm busy and I've got other things I've got to do as well. Uh, like when x-wing all right guys that's it thanks very much for coming for listening thanks jeff for coming on and have a good one